Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, Raider Nation. Welcome to another edition of the Believe in Raiders podcast, Believe Podcast Network. I'm Dennis Sackerman, pleased to be joined by former Raider great Stanford Route. Stan, it certainly wasn't pretty, but the Raiders kept their slim postseason hopes alive with a 16-14 win over the undermanned but game Cleveland Browns. Raiders kicker Daniel Carlson kicked the game-winning 48-yard field goal to even up the Raiders' record at 7-7. Late Al Davis used to say, just win, baby. And that's what the Raiders did. But, Stan, before we get to the actual game, I want to get your thoughts on postponing the game and playing it on Monday instead of Saturday. Oh, man, I, I think uh, K.J. Wright hit it right on the head uh, when he basically said how, like, if that was us with all those COVID complications, they wouldn't have changed the game. Uh, obviously, the Seattle Seahawks felt the same way, and then the, uh, the the Philadelphia Eagles, I'm sure, as well. So it just right there, when Roger Goodell came out and said that he was not going to move any games and that if you are, do not have enough people to play, it's going to be a forfeit. It's up to you to make sure that everybody's staying vigilant during this pandemic and doing things right so they're available to play the game. He said that sometime in the offseason. I forget which month it was. I think it was and June. For them, and for, them, for him to then turn around and because of now Omicron, now all of a sudden he wants to pivot and go and do things like that and just change up and backdoor off of what he said. I think that uh, the, the Raiders were spot on, especially KJ Wright was saying what he said, because it seems like the, obviously the Browns, then the Rams, and then obviously the Washington football team are all three three teams in the playoff race, in the playoff hunt, what have you. And so I now have to suffer because they didn't do their job. So I should just go ahead and get the 450 W. That's what should happen if they're not able to play on Sunday. And I think that it, it, it opens up Pandora's box because now, if you're Roger Goodell, and let's say NFC title game, it's supposed to be the Packers and let's say the Bucks. Aaron Rodgers catches COVID, something like that. A quarterback, a high magnitude type of player catches COVID. A few on a certain team catches COVID. What you going to do? I mean, Roger Goodell, go ahead. Move the game from Sunday to Wednesday. Oh, yeah, that's right. You won't want to do that because it'll throw things off. But because you did it for the Browns, the Rams, and the Washington football team, you don't have a leg to stand on for whatever excuse you use for why you can't do it in the postseason. Because I'm sorry, if that's the case, why didn't you postpone or reschedule the Chiefs Packers? So Aaron Rodgers could have been available to play a couple of days later. So it just raises, it opens up Pandora's box so much. And I think Roger Goodell really stepped in it by rescheduling those games because now it shows favoritism because not everybody is getting that same reprieve. Yeah, you know, uh, we're, we're recording this podcast on Wednesday and this morning, Cleveland Brown starting center, JC, I think it's Treader is how he pronounces his last yeah. name. He's also, uh-huh. he's the NFL PA president. And he said there were three games on the verge of being canceled. Obviously, that was the Raiders, Browns, uh, Seahawks, Rams, and the Washington football team and Eagles. And he was said he was fighting for them to be moved. Because just a reminder to our listeners, Dan, you know this as well. If you don't play, you as a player, you don't get paid. So, nope. you know, I don't know if there was a conflict of interest with JC playing for the Browns and being the NFLPA. Um, my biggest thing, though, Stan, is, and I go back to last year, and I feel like it's, it's the NFL once again and Roger Goodell kind of just making things up as they go along. Oh, yes. Last year, so much. yeah, last year the Raiders, I remember their entire offensive line was in uh, COVID-19 protocol before the Tampa Bay game. 
That mm-hmm. game was scheduled to be on a Sunday night, Stan. And instead of pushing that game back to maybe Monday or Tuesday, like they were already doing with so many games last year, the NFL moved the game up to Sunday afternoon. And yeah. I'm like, mm-hmm. where is the consistency with this? Exactly. That's the thing. There is no consistency. And I think that when you're the leader, when you're a head coach, when you're the commissioner, when you're the president, you're the CEO of something like you have to be consistent. Like not everybody's going to agree with everything, but sure. it has to show some consistency. So if you're the Browns, if you're the Rams, if you're the Washington football team, yeah, you'd be a little bit upset that the game wasn't rescheduled, but you still know in the back of your mind, the game was scheduled for Sunday all along. It's been scheduled for Sunday for a hundred years with the way the NFL has been set up. So even for the Browns, the Rams, or the Washington football team, they still would understand, okay, you know what? We just didn't get preferential treatment. But the game still being on Sunday wasn't like some sort of a detriment or some sort of a some some sort of a punishment for us because that's where the game was scheduled all along. So I think that Roger Goodell, he's got to show consistency. And I'm telling you, trust me, mark my words, DA, this is opening up Pandora's box. There's going to be something that happens in the postseason. There's going to be some outbreak on some team, and there's going to be a few guys who are missing and not available for said game, and they are going to call for Roger Goodell to reschedule that game. He's going to call that, call back down to him and tell him, no, sorry, I can't do it. The TV rights, the money that's involved, you know, the people that, you know, that are buying uh, commercial spots during the TV timeouts, things like that. They're going to basically tell him in a roundabout way, no. And then they're going to wonder, they're going to go back to, well, why did you do that for the Browns? Why you do that for the Rams? Why you do that for the Washington football team? And all he's going to do is be able to sit up there, well, uh, that was then and this is now, and that is not the way that you garner respect from anybody in any type of entity by giving that type of an answer, but that's the only answer he's going to be able to give. Yeah, my final thought on this, Dan, and honestly looking at it, I think the Raiders maybe caught a break because can you imagine having to play on Tuesday like Washington and Philly did and the Seahawks. Oh, yeah. And then you got to turn around and play on Sunday. And play on Sunday. Yeah. They asked the league, hey, can you move our next games? You know, if we're playing Tuesday, can we play it on Monday? And the league said, oh, absolutely not. And now the Raiders, they are on a short week, but at least they're at home taking on the Denver Broncos. Yeah. And they don't have to travel. So they did catch a little bit of a break in terms of that. So now, let me ask you something. Saturday is the 26th, correct? I'm sorry. Saturday is the 25th, correct? Correct. And I believe there are a couple games that are going to be played on Saturday, correct? Yes. yes. What are those two games going to? Who who are the who are the uh, the Colts the, Cardinals uh, and I believe it's the Browns Packers, right? Yes. Browns Packers. You talking yes. about the same Browns that played on Monday yes, night I against am. the Raiders? Yep. Hmm. So they got to play. Usually, you know, somebody plays on Monday night, and then they got to play again on Sunday. That's right. kind of like a normal NFL sure. schedule. The Browns had to play on Monday night, and then got to play on Saturday. And they got to travel. <laughs> exactly. So I think that right there, it just goes to show, man, like Roger Goodell, he didn't think this through. He didn't. He did not think about the backside of it. He did not think about the repercussions from it. He did not think about any of the fallout. And I mean, just off of that alone. So, I mean, if you're the if you're the Packers, you I'm not going to say you've got a, just an easy week, but you got a team that they just played on Monday. The Browns did. They're not going to be ready to practice until Thursday. You got to travel on Friday. Right. So, uh, so man, it just, like I said, there's going to be a lot of lingering effects from that, especially for, for the Philadelphia Eagles. They played on Tuesday. The Rams played on Tuesday. So I think that uh, Roger Goodell definitely didn't think it through. I think he did. All right. As I mentioned, it wasn't pretty, Stan, but the record, the Raiders did come up with the win. They even up their record now at 7-7. Seven and seven. What were your takeaways from the game? 
Oh, man, I remember just sitting back watching the game, and, you know, it just had all the makings of an ugly loss. I see – I'm seeing uh, Hunter Renfro fumble. I'm seeing him drop what? passes. I'm seeing him uh, muff punts. And I'm just like – and he's very sure-handed. He's very sure-handed. And when he's muffing punts, when he's dropping passes, and you got Cleveland is minus so many starters, and their starters are actually making this a game against the Las Vegas Raiders, especially – within the Browns secondary. They're missing so many people like Grant Delpit. They're missing Harrison. Uh, they're missing all those guys in the back end. And then the backups are doing a good job against the Raiders receiving core. And I'm just like, this is just not good, even from just a mentality standpoint, a confidence standpoint. And then when your sure-handed receiver at Hunter Renfro is over there dropping passes, muffing punts, which he never does, it to me just seemed like a bad omen of this is about to be an ugly loss to basically a team full of a lot of replacements, not all, but a lot of replacements. And then you got Nick Mullins who's out there who's looking serviceable against a defense that should be lighting him up or should be blitzing him or just, you know, simply confusing him. So, yeah, luckily we came out with the victory, but it definitely was not pretty. But I will say this, like I said, Derek Carr, I believe, has what, the most fourth quarter comebacks in since the NFL? Yeah. yeah, like since his rookie year or something like that. So, I mean, obviously they're able to go ahead and – move the ball down the field when they need to. But, man, I was thinking to myself during this entire game, it should be 14-0. It should be 21-7 right now. Like, it should be a comfortable victory. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, a comfortable lead. That way then you can go ahead and let Cleveland go ahead and they can go ahead and call it in. They can mail it in. And then now you can coast to the fourth quarter. But you're over there. It's over there being a nail-biter in the fourth quarter. And, you know, like I said, I'll, I'll, it's, a, it's a W, so I'll take it. But that was an ugly W, and we just got we got away with one. We got lucky. I'll still take it, no doubt about it. Absolutely. But it definitely is something that does not soothe uh, any of my concerns. It does not soothe any of my apprehensions about this team for them to be able to still qualify for the playoffs with three games left. No, I agree. And, and you know, for the most part, Stan, I thought the offense was once again mediocre, and I'm probably being kind using the word mediocre. I thought they looked great on their opening drive. They scored the touchdown. Obviously, they came up uh, big uh, on the last drive to set up the game-winning field goal for Daniel Carlson. But, you know, in between, Stan, uh, what, six points? You know, I know Darren Waller missing his third straight game, but Derek Carr turned it over twice. That interception late in the fourth quarter, I thought that was yeah. – that, I thought that game sealed it for – Yes, um, I, thought, I thought so, too. For the too. Browns, and, you know, and I, I really did. And, Stan, I think these numbers are really, really interesting. The Raiders – they averaged about five yards of play and scored just 16 points, which marks the sixth time this season, Stan. They have failed to score 20 points in a game. And the Raiders are tied with the Texans and Jags for the most games, scoring 16 or fewer <laughs> points. Yes, that's, Stan, exactly. You're, I mean, that's so ugly. Isn't it? I mean, this is, I mean, I, like I said, I know they lost rugs and Waller hasn't been available and they've had some issues, but the NFL is geared to the offenses and scoring yeah. points. And when you hear those numbers, you laugh. I shake my head. You know, I thought for the most part, Stan, the Raiders defense did a pretty good job. I mean, they still had Nick Chubb. They still mm -hmm. had their leading receiver, Donovan Peoples-Jones. You know, the Raiders did shut them out in the first half. In fact, the Browns didn't score on their first six drives. They held them to just 236 yards. So I thought for the most part, you know, missing Denzel Perriman for a second straight game. Nate Hobbs was out uh, yeah. as well. Trayvon Mullen placed on injured reserve. Uh, I think rookie uh, linebacker Divine Diablo played well in a second straight start. And it looks like Corey Littleton, he's kind of the odd man out now. I mean, the Raiders signed him a couple years ago on this big deal. 
damn, but he only played five snaps. I mean, they went mm-hmm. with Martel Lee over him. So, yes. you know, I think he's done. And then, um, you know, I thought uh, Crosby, even though he didn't have any, you know, sacks, also played well. So I did. And uh, I thought it was interesting that Crosby was very emotional after the game stand being named to the Pro Bowl. And here's what he had to say. I found out like right before the game. I really didn't believe it. Um, I, I've had to take a moment. Like I, I broke down. Um, I just put in so much work. Um, and for having, you know, my teammates, my peers, people, coaches around the league, um, it's a dream come true. You know, uh, it's awesome. Individual awards are, are cool, but something like that, like think about that as a kid. And I have five sacks, like, and it, I just want to show people out there, like it's not all about stats because I've had double digits. I've done things like that, but it's your impact. And no matter what it is, it's your impact in the locker room. It's your impact on the field, um, affecting the game, no matter what stats I get. Um, I believe I do that um, every single Sunday, and that's what I try to do. And, yeah, it was, uh, it was super special for sure. Yeah, keep on yeah, it was just uh, – it just brought back memories, like – so I'm get emotional. It's just like I was in rehab like <laughs> almost two years ago, and now I'm in a Pro Bowl. Like it's just a blessing, man. I show up and I try to be the best teammate. I try to be the best teammate every day and show my guys that I care. And um, just at home, man, it was uh, it's special. It just it makes my family proud. I can't my girl my. Everybody around me is calling, blowing up, blowing up my phone. I'm like, I'm like crying like a baby because I just know I've worked so hard and it's uh, it's starting to pay off. And you know, Coach Marinelli, gotta say something about him because he pushes me every day, um, pushes me every day to be the best best player I can be. And I want to kill him sometimes. <laughs> he wants to kill me. He wants to kill me. But um, he just wants to see the best for me, and he knows what I want. You know, I want to be the best in the league and. He pushed me to be that guy every day. And, um, there's so many people I can go on and on, but this is exciting, man. Uh, it's a blessing for sure. So, Stan, I know that uh, you're familiar with Max Crosby. You had him on your yep. podcast. And just your thoughts on him making the Pro Bowl here in his third season. Oh, man, I remember uh, talking to him in the offseason. It was really a pleasure uh, actually getting to know him and meet him and just talk to him. And, you know, and basically that was one of his goals coming into this year. Obviously wants to win the division, wants to go to the playoffs. That's, that's first and foremost. But, uh, you know, I asked him individually, like, what do you see yourself? Where do you want to go? And he said he wanted to go to the Pro Bowl. He wanted to get back and have that double-digit sack year. Obviously, he's not had that so far. He's only got five this year, but I believe he like leads the league in like quarterback pressures right. or something, you know, something like that. So clearly, he's still out there putting in a lot of work. And you know, I uh, and I've been around plenty of guys. And that first one, yeah, you're emotional because obviously you feel like you're now being recognized for your labor that you've been putting out there on the football field and then all the work that has gone into it in the offseason so you can go ahead and make plays on the field. So, you know, kudos to him. I'm so proud of him, so happy for him. And, you know, and then on top of that, he's from Texas. So I definitely will ride for him no matter what. But uh, definitely a sight to see, you know, linebacker Denzel Perryman, D.N., Max Crosby. And he's, like I said, he's second on the team in sacks behind Ngakwe, who I think has either eight or nine, I forget. Nine, yeah. So just, you know, seeing that, I can't remember the last linebacker for the Las Vegas and soon it was before that Oakland Raiders 
to make the Pro Bowl as a linebacker. So, you know, uh, definitely uh, good to see on a team that coming into the year, a lot of people thought the defense was going to be horrible and weren't going to have any good players. So uh, definitely good to see uh, that they have two uh, on the defense side of the ball going to, I would say Hawaii, but now I'd say <laughs> they're staying home uh, February 7th. All right, the uh, Pro Bowl is in Vegas this year, and congratulations also to punter A.J. Cole who made it. And Stan, I think I read that Perriman's the first middle linebacker for the Raiders to go to a Pro Bowl since Matt Millen. I don't, exactly, don't quote yeah. me on that, but I did read that, so that could be a fact. And then Stan, one other note for the defense, I think we all saw Jonathan Abram. He left the game yes, against uh-huh. the Browns. He separated his shoulder. He's officially out for the year. So Roderick Teamer will take his place now in the starting lineup. Let me ask you this. If you were the Raiders, would you extend the fifth year on his rookie deal? Now, he's missed 21 of possible 49 games in three years. I think that uh, because the fifth-year option is not going to be an extravagant number, I think that for Jonathan Abrams, yeah, you want to go ahead and kick the tires for one more year. So I believe that you're going to have until, what, May, where you have to make that decision because he just finished his third year. So his fifth year won't be until, what is that, 2023, 24? That'll be his fifth year. 2023, so, uh, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, so, so you know, you have 2022 to still go ahead, look at things, see how he gels within the, the organization or just within the defense. And then the fifth year, I believe it's guaranteed for what injury only, I think something like that. So as far as, as far as what I know, you can still trade him, cut him and really suffer minimal penalty. So, uh, so like I said, I think that, uh, signing off on his fifth year, I, I don't think that's a bad move. Well, we know he's definitely gotten better, uh, in the run game yeah. now that he's moved down. Exactly. He's playing yes. a linebacker. He's still yes, obviously exactly. struggles and in the he's secondary. Always been, yeah, he's always been a hitter. So, yep. so he definitely is going to always uh, excel at that. All right, Stan. Well, the Raiders are home the day after Christmas, hosting the Denver Broncos. The Raiders are one-point favorites, and the over-under is 41-and-a-half. Raiders defeated Denver earlier this year. If you remember, that was following the game. The resignation yeah. of former mm-hmm. head coach John Gruden. So if you think the silver and black could sweep the season series against the Broncos, you should have yes. bet online. Yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> it's back and better than ever. A new web interface for the rest of the NBA season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use promo code BLEAV50 to receive your bonus. From hoops, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet online, or the game starts you see Le'Veon Bell just got picked up by, by the Bucks. And did you see me said before the Bucks called? He was thinking about retiring. Boxing. Boxing. <laughs> what is with uh, what is with all these former athletes going into boxing, man? I'm you know, like, I think that uh punishment, Stan. Yeah, hey, but I tell you, D, I've known a, I've known many players. I've known many players that I played with and against it. They actually you they actually use MMA training in the offseason right, to prepare for the yes. coming football season. So I think that in a way. Boxing, MMA, football are somewhat synonymous from the physical violence, from the steady steady blows to your body. Now, obviously, it's not the exact same, clearly, but 
as far as the physicality, the aggression, that gladiator type of setting. And, and then also it's a great way to stay in shape. Even, you know, if you're not playing anymore, like I said, I still go to the gym and do a couple rounds of boxing. Now I'm not about to go and, you know, enter some ring with somebody, <laughs> but I, I still go and I box just because it's a great workout. You know what I mean? You go, it works your arms, your lungs, uh, obviously your agility, your balance, things like that, stamina, you know, so many different uh, traits that it actually will help you in just for physical wellness. So I can understand why he's taken up a um, a huge like, a huge uh, interest in boxing. But as far as like stepping in the ring with somebody, like what you saw Frank Gore and Darren Williams do just right. over the weekend, I don't know about all that. I hear you. All right, let's turn our attention now to Sunday's matchup against the Broncos. And it's Wednesday, so that means it's media day. And here's what Derek Carr had to say about the Broncos' defense and why the Raiders have had so much success against it lately. I've talked about Vaughn so many times. You know, you guys know how I feel about him. He knows how I feel about him. Um, but the guys behind him are also professionals, you know, and they work their, their butts off every week, um, you know, to become better football players. And they know, uh, you know, as Vaughn, you know, is, you know, was getting older and, and, you know, they're talking about trading and all that. Well, they know that their time was coming, you know, so, you know, they're, they got some really good football players, you know, on that side of the ball and at those positions. And they always have, you know, if you look back a couple of years, they had, you know, Shaq was there, you know, Shane Ray was, uh, you know, uh, top, you know, top pick. They, you know, they've had DeMarcus Ware, they've had Vaughn, they've had, they, they've always had a lot of guys that could rush, you know, from those spots. And so now they got Chubb and they got other guys, uh, and Reed and, and all these guys that can all be effective in getting to the passer. And with that, they have a great scheme. You know, their their defense uh, is very, uh, very difficult to go against. Um, it's always a, a big challenge for us. And, uh, you know, one, one you look forward to, but, um, you know, you know, it's hard. You know, when you lose a player of that caliber, can you replace a Von Miller? You can't replace a Von Miller. You know, he's like an all-time great. Uh, but the guys playing for him, could they be – you know, as productive someday and all those kinds of things. Yeah, I mean, they have the talent. You know, they, they can go out there and do it. So I think the world of their their pass rushers and their pass rush and what they do have. Along those lines, uh, we know, you know, Fangio, a great defensive coach. The talent that they have on the defensive side of the ball, you guys have averaged 34 a game against them in the last three meetings, one all three. Why why have you had so much success in the team? I don't know. When you watch those games, we, we've done everything. It sounds so cliche and so repetitive, but we did everything, the little things all right. You know, we... Um, you know, our, our technique, our fundamentals, uh, decisions, uh, our eyes are in the right places. We're not having bad eyes and letting, you know, things, uh, you know, sneak up on us and things like that. And it's, it's hard to do against the defense, but you know, it's, it's what we have to do to be able to play well. And so, uh, you know, in the NFL, one thing I do know, you know, the last game doesn't dictate the next game. You know, we've proven that as a team, you know, and so we, we may have had success before, but that means nothing this week. We have to go to work. We have to study. We have to prepare and be ready to play uh, again, who I think is one of the best defenses in the NFL. All right, Stan, the Broncos starting quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater, he suffered a concussion last week against the Cincinnati Bengals, so he's likely going to miss this week's game against the Raiders. Drew Locke will now be the starter for Denver. Obviously, the Raiders very familiar with him. Stan, do you think that the Raiders' defense game plan changes much, whether it was Teddy Bridgewater or Drew Locke? I think it should change a little bit because I remember when Drew Clock, Drew Lock made his first career start against the Houston Texans about two, three years ago, and it was 31-3 at halftime. I remember the very first play of the game, it was a bootleg. He rolled out, throwing it Noah Fant on the sideline, made a great throw, Noah Fant, then had some uh, some some good yards after after catch. 
But it, the point what I'm trying to make is for, is for Teddy Bridgewater, he's more of a game manager. He's not going right. to put the ball in harm's way. He's just going to simply throw the check down, take the sack, or throw the ball out of bounds. Drew Locke is a gunslinger. He is going to put that ball in harm's way. That's one of the reasons why he lost the job to Teddy Bridgewater. But nonetheless, he's fearless. He's aggressive. So you got Corlin Sutton. You got Jerry Judy. You got Tim Patrick. You got Noah Fan. You got all those boys. He is going to push the ball down the field. He is going to take some chances. So I believe it's a, it's a defense. It's a secondary you have to change your methodology you have to change your mindset you got to change your approach because where teddy bridgewater simply may not even try to make that throw in that tight window drew lock he will attempt that throw in that tight window so now as a defense as a secondary you have to be better prepared this week to make more plays on the ball because it's going to be in the air versus Teddy Bridgewater, who simply is not even going to throw it. He'll just throw the check down. Well, last year in Vegas, uh, the Raiders tormented Lockie through four picks and was sacked twice as the Raiders rolled in that one, 37-12. And, Dan, when you look at the Broncos' offense, I mean, they've struggled just as much this year as the Raiders. They averaged, though, just 17 points a game. And you mentioned they got some weapons. I mean, Jerry Judy, although he didn't have a catch last week against the Bengals. Cortland Sutton's a very good receiver. Noah Fant. When you watch these guys, can you pinpoint why they've struggled? Is it just the quarterback position? I think a lot of it is probably, you know, obviously Corden Sutton coming off that ACL injury, so he's still getting back into form. Jerry Judy's in his second year, so he still has some growing to do. Tim Patrick, obviously, congratulations on the contract that he received not too long ago because he's been making some plays and stepping up. And I really just think that uh, all in all, you probably just you would put that on the on the shoulders of a Teddy Bridgewater, not because Teddy Bridgewater is not a good quarterback. It's because when you got receivers, they want the ball. And there's many times where I learned this from Randy Moss my rookie year. There's times where where a receiver can be covered to the naked eye, but that receiver knows, hey, I can out jump this guy. I can out muscle this guy. I can still come down with this ball. And it takes certain quarterbacks who've got that fearless gunslinger mentality to still put the ball up there that, okay, my receiver does not, he did not create separation, but my receiver still has a good chance of coming down with this ball. And Teddy Bridgewater is just simply not going to put the ball in harm's way like that. Drew Locke will. So I do believe when you have a myriad of weapons around you, you need somebody who's got more of a gunslinger mentality because that's going to make the offense more prolific. Now, you also have to be willing as a coach, as a fan, you have to be willing to live with the possible INTs. Like you just said last year through four INTs, you got to be willing to live with the bad days because that's the only way you're going to get to the good days. So uh, I would definitely go ahead and say that there's probably a huge chunk of the reasoning as to why the Denver Broncos offense has not been prolific this year. A lot of it, I think, has to do with Teddy Bridgewater being more of the game manager and rather than a gunslinger. Yeah, you know, I look at their rushing uh, attacks, Dan. It's pretty good. I mean, they're averaging about 124 yards on the ground between Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams. I've been critical of the Raiders' run defense, but the Raiders' run defense has actually been pretty decent yeah, since uh -huh. I would say since Thanksgiving, don't you agree? Absolutely. I was just about to say that they did a pretty good job against the Dallas Cowboys. Both the running backs for the uh, for the Cowboys did not have big days against them. Uh, obviously, so like I said, that right there. I mean, you're going against Dallas Cowboys, who are known for having a good offensive line, good run game, things like that, and you're able to slow them down. I believe you can slow down pretty much anybody. And so, uh, and then you go back to the game just the other day. Nick Chubb, Pro Bowler, uh, only had 91 yards on the ground. So clearly, they're doing a good job against him as well. So yeah, I'm right there with. You, you know, uh, I do think that the run game, or should I say the run defense, has definitely improved over the last month. All right, Stan, let's take a look now at the Denver defense. And I didn't know this uh, in doing my research for the podcast. 
They've only given up 224 points this season, which is second fewest in the league. I didn't know New England either had the best scoring defense in the NFL, so I was very surprised to see those two uh, atop the NFL in points allowed. Um, the Broncos' defense stand hasn't allowed as held a bigger pardon has held opponents to one touchdown or less in nearly half the games. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at their defense and I'm like, okay, Patrick Sertan, sure, I've heard exactly. of him. They traded Chuck. Von Miller and he's still third on the team in sacks. So I'm like, you know, Kareem Jackson in the secondary. Yeah, exactly. I've heard of him also, but they're getting it done with a lot of no names and they're getting it. They're really doing a great job uh, on that side of the football. So well, if for I'm one. the Raiders, I mean, do I come out once again stand with that gunslinger mentality? I mean, I thought the Raiders try to force a lot of long balls, but I'd rather have them doing that. I should say try to force a lot of long balls against the Cleveland Browns. I'd rather see the Raiders do that than dump it off like they did against the Washington football team. So what do you think the game plan is against this very good Denver defense? I think you're going to have to obviously come out and be balanced. I think you need to establish the run game early on. That way it can open up the pass game. But I think that as long as you allow Vic Fangio, who's the head coach of the Denver Broncos, and like I said, when you say you're surprised at how good their defense is playing, I'm not at all because I remember Vic Fangio when he was with the 49ers when Jim Harbaugh was there. He then went to the uh, to the Chicago Bears. They had a great defense. That's one of the reasons why Kyle Fuller came over from the Bears to the Broncos. So any team that is coached by Vic Fangio, they are going to have a good defense. They're going to be sound. You got Simmons, free safety, Pro Bowl safety. You got Kareem Jackson still playing at a high level. You got Patrick Sertan. If it was not for Micah Parsons, he would be the defensive rookie of the year. Uh, And then, like I said, Bradley Chubb went to the Pro Bowl just last year. So I'm not at all shocked at how good these Denver Broncos are playing now. Like I said, it does not mean they're the 85 Bears. It does not mean that they're invincible, but uh, it is definitely going to be tough sledding. So you got to block it up. You got to be able to protect Derek Carr. There's no doubt about that. You got to be able to run the ball. That way it's not all on Derek Carr's shoulders. And whenever those 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 50-50 balls, whenever those 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 catches in those tight windows, it has to be a catch. It can't be a okay, he almost caught the ball, the DB knocked it away. So now it's now fourth down instead of it being first and ten. You cannot have those. All of those have to be converted into catches. They got to be converted into first downs, and you have to stay on schedule. That is the main thing. Stay on schedule. Otherwise, you get behind the chains. It's going to be very hard to move the ball against the Denver Broncos. Stan, one thing I noticed against the Cleveland Browns, and I think I actually texted you at one point uh, during the game, is I noticed the Raiders, for one of the few times this season, actually had success running the ball going to the left side of their offensive line. Yeah. And I, mm-hmm. and I thought, okay, maybe this is something that they need to explore a little bit more and continue to go that way because, as, as you know, they've struggled to run the football. I think the Raiders are maybe 30 or 31st in rushing offense this season. Did you notice that as well? I noticed that a little bit. I'm, I'm assuming that pretty much they're, they're running behind Colton Miller, correct? Right. He's, a, yes. he's a left tackle. Yes. So they're running uh, away from Leatherwood, if memory serves correctly. But also, like I said, you know, uh, it also depends on, you know, if Miles Garrett was lining up on the right side of the formation, of course, you're going to want to run away from him. So I think there's a couple of factors that go into that. But nonetheless, it is now late December. You're now getting ready to make this playoff push if you still want to be able to go ahead and play in the postseason. So you have to lean into what your team is doing well rather than just, okay, well, this is my thing. This is what I like to call as a coach. You have to understand your personnel and you have to be able to adapt to what they do well, not just what you want to do because you're the coach and you're the play caller. So by all means, if it's working, going to the left, continue, keep going to the left.
Dan, the Raiders have scored 30 or more points in the last three games against Denver. I know it goes back to last year as well. Do you see the Raiders putting up those kind of numbers again, or do you think this is more of a Cleveland type of game? I think they can put up the numbers, but I think that they're going to have to come out and establish that mindset early on. You cannot come out with a pedestrian mindset of, okay, ball control, dink and dunk, things like that. Derek Carr has to come out, be looking downfield. Take some shots with Deshaun Jackson. He can still get down the field. Uh, Patrick Sutan, he is a stud right now playing as a, as a rookie. Like I said, probably without Michael Parsons, would be the defensive rookie of the year. But guess what? He's still a rookie, which means he still has some growing to do, and he still has certain limitations. you got to be able to identify those limitations and exploit those limitations. So I think that uh, the Raiders can very easily score 30-plus points, but they're going to have to definitely execute because Denver is damn sure not going to give them anything. They're going to have to make sure that they go out and take it. Well, that game is a day after Christmas, and hopefully the Raiders can deliver a belated Christmas present to Raider Nation. And speaking of Christmas presents, if you want to say goodbye to dull gifts, Lightbox, Lamgro, and Diamonds are the brightest gift of the year. Using cutting-edge technology and innovative techniques, they've cracked the science of sparkle, creating the highest quality Lamgro and Diamonds you can find at a light price, $800 per carat. They have the same chemical makeup of natural diamonds, but are just grown in a lab. Because of their process, they can create stones in blush pink and beautiful blue, as well as classic white. Lightbox lab-growing diamonds are the gift they'll never want to take off price, so they won't have to. They really do make any outfit sparkle. Visit lightboxjewelry.com to add sparkle to your holiday shopping. That's lightboxjewelry.com. Lightbox diamonds. Never a dull moment. All right, Stan, before we get to our AFC West picks, I saw this on Twitter today, and I thought this was very interesting, especially uh, following last night's Washington football team, uh, Philadelphia Eagles game, in which the Eagles won. And Eagles running back Miles Sanders tweeted out, stop booing players. We put our heart and soul into this. Stan, you played eight years in the NFL, and I want to get your reaction to that tweet. Oh, man, I think uh, he's spot on, even though it's never going to happen because right. <laughs> fans Especially are not going to stop doing it. Yeah, but he, he's spot on. And I simply say that because how would those fans like it if I come down to their job, whether they're working at an office building, whether they're working at the bank, or they're, they're a policeman, or the supermarket, wherever, you're a ditch digger. Imagine if I come down to your job and I boo you simply because you don't stock the shelves the right way. Or if you're a policeman and you forget to type in someone's license plate uh, right after you pull them over. Imagine if I go and boo you just because you make a slight misstep. So I think that a lot of fans, they do not take the broad macro approach whenever they decide to go ahead and, and verbally eviscerate a player because they're not thinking about it. That that player has a family, a mom, dad, kids, uncle, aunt, so, you know, so forth. And you think they want their family member being talked about like that, being ridiculed? Well, guess what? If I was to go into your job and do that to you, your mom, your father, your kid, your nephew, your niece, your uncle, your aunt, they would probably reprimand me for disrespecting you while at your job, at your place of occupation, your place of business. So I think the fans do not take the broad approach. They do not look at it from both sides as far as they're concerned. And this is where a lot of people come out. A lot, a lot of fans, they think of it, okay, you're playing a kid's game and you're getting paid a lot of money to do it. So 
I should be able to talk about you, ridicule you, chastise you, crucify you if I want to, because I paid my money to enter this building, which they did. And they feel empowered. They feel they feel obliged to be able to go ahead and, like I said, verbally eviscerate you because they paid their money. Now, legally, they are spot on right. But from a humanity standpoint, just from a common sense standpoint, just from simply being an empath, an empath you would not want your daughter being booed at her job. You wouldn't want your son being booed at his job. Hell, your son plays high school football. You wouldn't want him booed. On, on the football field, you wouldn't want that. Your daughter's at her dance recital, you wouldn't want her booed at that dance recital, you would not. You'd be ready to fight somebody. But all of a sudden, when it's a player, when it's a grown man, 28 years old, probably in his sixth year out of USC or Florida or Oklahoma or something like that, all of a sudden, that's when a lot of fans, they lose that empathy, they lose that compassion, where now all of a sudden, they think of players, honestly, as cartoon characters. They think of players as Bugs Bunny, they think of him as Daffy Duck, they think of him as Tom and Jerry or something like that simply because they think players don't have feelings. They think players don't cry. They think players don't bleed. They think players don't sweat. They think players are just these mythical creatures, these mythical objects out there running around on a football field or a basketball court, mind you, or, you know, baseball diamond, whatever. They, they don't think that players have feelings. They don't think players are human. That's really the, uh, the ultimate piece that they, uh, they dehumanize players and they just see them as somebody out there on a football field or on my TV screen that just makes a lot of money playing a kid's game. And I think that you have to have a level of compassion. Otherwise you will always continually see it one side. Right. You know, as a fan, I would go to Raider games or I went to a lot of sporting events and I tried not to boo. I don't think I've ever booed for a lot of the things that you said. And I know the, you know, playing devil's advocate, as you mentioned, a lot of fans, well, you know what? I paid money. I paid a lot of money, especially these yeah. days to go to a sporting event. If I want to boo or if I want to heckle, I'm going to be able to do that. And, I think, Stan, you hit on a good point. I think we've dehumanized a lot of these players on the field, and we don't yeah. understand. Let me ask you this. I, I, at some level, I'm sure, whether it's the University of Houston, uh, I've been to plenty of Raider games where the fans are just so disgusted with the way they Oh, yeah. Playing, you know, booze were raining <laughs> I was down. a part of them. How did you, exactly. I mean, how did that personally make you feel? Was it something you could let go and then maybe thought about it once you got back to the locker room after the game was over? How did you deal with it personally? I mean, clearly you hate it. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Nobody likes to be booed. Sure. But at the end of the day, if we're losing the game and we're playing like crap, I mean, I, I kind of understand it. I kind of get it, you know, because we kind of deserve it. But, you know, it just I, I just go back to, you know, that humanitarian type of mindset where at the end of the day, like I said, if all of those people that like to boo or let's say they like to call somebody a bust because they're a first round pick and they don't wind up going to their third Pro Bowl by their fifth year. I think that they need to ask themselves if that's my brother and somebody's booing him. Am I taking that? OK, am I taking that? Uh, am I taking that respectfully? Am I going to handle that maturely? And most people are going to go over there and they're going to reprimand whoever it is that is ridiculing their brother, their son, their uncle, their father, whomever. And that's the thing. If you would not feel comfortable with somebody booing one of your loved ones, then you need to not boo anybody else. If you want to be a human on planet Earth. And like I said, I think that whenever they go to the, well, I paid my money, I can go ahead and do this. Okay. I mean, who pays cop salaries? The taxpayers. So really, they pay their money. They should be able to go ahead and boop a seat. Cops wouldn't like that. That's the difference. And so I think that we all can't pick and choose 
when we want to be righteous. We can't pick and choose when we want to go ahead and just, you know, obey the hey, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. We all can't do we, we We can't pick and choose when we want to go ahead and have the double standard and not have the double standard. So for me, uh, obviously, like I said, they've booed us before back in Oakland. They've done it a couple of times, maybe even more than that. And there's times where we were playing like crap. And you know what? We probably deserved it, I think. But at the same time, it's one thing to say that somebody's not playing well. It's another thing. It's one thing to say that the team isn't playing well. But when you're booing, when you're throwing stuff on the football field, things like that, then I think it just, that's when I think it becomes overkill. Hey, you think that the Raiders, when they got beat down by the Chiefs both times, you think the Raiders didn't know they played like garbage? Right. So, yeah, I mean, so it's not like you're telling them something they don't already know. And if you say that, hey, you guys play like crap today, they would probably agree with you. But just booing somebody, to me, it just it just shows such a lack of class. Right. It just just a lack of maturity in a lot of ways. I can't tell you I've probably booed the referees before though. <laughs> <laughs> no, trust me, I booed the referees too. And, 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 and even and even then, I have to catch myself because I remind myself, okay, Stan. You wouldn't like it if somebody booed you. Right. So even though he made a bonehead call, you don't need to do that. You can walk up to him and say, hey, man, that was a call that you just made. But booing, you know, things like that, I think to me, that's just overkill. Now, like I said, as humans, especially as men in this league, you can understand if somebody tells you you didn't play well. You can accept that because you know you didn't play well. But when somebody takes to the extent of booing you, throwing something at you, that's when I think it's overkill because at the same time, that same person would not want somebody throwing something at their loved one, whoever right. that may be. They will not want somebody ridiculing, chastising, crucifying their loved one. They just wouldn't do that. So I think that whatever you're okay with someone doing to your loved one, you do that to others. Whatever you're not okay with, you should go ahead, follow suit, and not do the same thing. Stan, what's the magical word to get an unsportsmanlike uh, penalty uh, called against you? Was it or did you have to drop drop an F-bomb? Oh, uh, let me think here. I've dropped the F-bomb to a referee before. Really? I've, I've, Oh, yeah, I've told a referee that was before. I'm, I'm trying to think. I don't think I ever got a personal foul okay. from saying something to a referee, but pretty much if that referee is on one, if he's, if he's already in a mood, you pretty much can almost look at him the wrong way and he can throw a personal foul, to be honest with you. But, you know, for the most part, like I said, there's usually a lot of F-bombs dropped out there on the football field. That's why, if you notice, not that's why they only have one player a game that may be mic'd up. And even then, while that player is mic'd up, there is still somebody. And that's why they, that's why it's a little bit like the eight-second delay right. yep. from live to the, uh, to the, to the broadcast because be. – even when they, even when somebody is mic'd up, somebody else may be walking by saying something crazy or saying some using some profanity type of language. So they always have to go ahead and be able to have that delay to be able to bleep out whatever is said. So even then, like I said, you know, uh, being mic'd up, they definitely have to make sure that they monitor whoever it is that's mic'd up and make sure that they don't say something that is extremely embarrassing for the team, that player, and for the network. All right, my man, let's pick some games now in the AFC West, and this is a pretty easy one. We'll start with the, with the Chargers and the Texans. L.A.'s a nine-and-a-half-point favorite on the road. 
Yeah, uh, like I said, I, I live here in Houston, and I would love to see the Texans beat the Chargers. I mean, the Texans did beat the Titans, so maybe I can keep, keep my fingers crossed. But, uh, yeah, I would go with the Chargers. Justin Herbert, can't say enough about him. And like I said, it's, I, I'm shocked that they didn't win the game last week on Monday night against the uh, – I'm sorry, Thursday night against the Chiefs. I would go ahead and say the Chargers is going to beat the Texans handily. I would agree with you on that one. All right, this – well – Steelers Chiefs. I thought the yeah. city would be a you know nine and a half point favorite. I definitely thought this would be a Chiefs win. But now Tyree Kill along with Travis Kelsey, several of the Chiefs in COVID nineteen protocol stands. So still like the Chiefs or perhaps Pittsburgh. I mean, we'll upset. shoot. I mean, we'll shoot. Like Dennis, like isn't Roger Goodell gonna reschedule the game because you know <laughs> Tariq Hill and Travis Kelsey are gonna Two be on names. Two yeah, I mean, names. Should, I mean, shouldn't he reschedule? Shouldn't he? But uh, oh yeah, that's right. Somehow, some way that's different so let me go ahead and shut up but nonetheless like i said i think pittsburgh big ben seems like he's really kind of passed over he's really kind of over the hill he's really kind of past that point now oh uh, and that's where you know you see a lot of their struggles because you still got claypool he's got still got deontay johnson you now got uh my man uh the the running back uh in the backfield out of uh, alabama Najee the first round pick Najee harris the pittsburgh Steelers got players they got athletes uh, on defense, you still got Joe Hayden, you still got Minka Fitzpatrick, you got, still got Devin Bush, you still got uh, Cam Hayward, uh, all of those guys. So definitely still a lot of players. I think that because of the quarterback, that's why I still would go ahead and go with the Kansas City Chiefs. Even if Travis Kelsey and a Tariq Hill don't play, I would still go with the Chiefs. But nonetheless, let me just go ahead and say this. This is why I still have a lot of optimism for the Raiders right now because you got the Chiefs and the Steelers. You got the Bills playing the Patriots. You got the Colts playing, I think, the Cardinals this they week. Are. You got the Bengals and the Ravens. Right. So you still have a lot of games this week outside of the Chargers and the Texans. That seems like a slam dunk. But so many of the other games, the teams that we need to lose, that we can go ahead and leapfrog, they have a good chance of losing this weekend based on the opponent they're playing. I just want to go and throw that in there. Yeah, you actually you beat me to that. And I'm going to go with the Chiefs at home against the Steelers. That even if the Chiefs might be missing Hill and Kelsey, that, that Kansas City defense is playing so well exactly. right now. I, I like the Chiefs at home. And getting to your point, Stan, the Raiders currently are the 10th seed at 7-7. Seven and mm-hmm. seven. The Bills are the 7th seed at A and 6, and they play at New England. The Ravens are the 8th seed, and they play at Cincinnati. The Steelers are the 9th seed, and as we mentioned, they play at Kansas City. Stan, all those teams in front of the Raiders could definitely lose this weekend. Exactly. Now it comes down to, can the Raiders take care of their own business exactly. at yes. home against the Broncos, where they're one-point favorites? Yes, and that's why I say I think the Raiders can do that. I think they will do it. I, I'm hoping that Drew Locke comes out in his first game starting this year, and he has some jitters early on, because I'm telling you, he's going to throw that ball downfield. There's no doubt about that. So like I said, for the defense, for the secondary, Max Crosby, Pro Bowler, Ngakwe, uh, Got to get after the quarterback. Got to put him on his back. For the guys in the back end, you are going to have to make plays on the ball. You are not going to be able to just simply be in the right area, and the quarterback's going to pull it down and either go ahead and take the sack, throw the ball away, throw the check down, something like that. You're going to have to make plays on the ball. So I'm going to go ahead and say the Raiders will go ahead and take care of it, take care of business against the Denver Broncos. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think it'll be a very high scoring game. I don't think the Raiders get to 30 again. I think it's maybe 17-13, maybe 17-14. Yeah. I think it's another ugly slugfest. I do think the Raiders win to get to eight and seven. Then after that, stand at Indianapolis and then at home to the Chargers. I don't feel very confident about uh, those two moving forward, but let's take it one week at a time. Exactly. Let's focus on Denver. I do think they get the win. And if everything else plays out, then the Raiders could actually find themselves 
maybe tied for the seventh spot or in exactly with two games to go. And look, at all you want is an opportunity to make the playoffs at this time. And the, be- and the beautiful part about it is, is that even if they tie the Steelers or the Ravens, they win that tiebreaker because they beat the Ravens head to head, beat the Steelers head to head. And that's why I say next week, if they win against the Denver Broncos, that's a huge if playing the Colts. That's almost kind of like a two-game swing because they're playing yep. them, and they can go ahead and get and get one up on them head to head as well. So, like I said, it uh, it's going to be very interesting these last three weeks. And the Raiders, they, I'm not going to say they control their own destiny because they still need other teams to lose. But the way that it's set up, the way the scheduling is set up, that these teams they're playing good teams. The Steelers are playing. Obviously, the Chiefs. You can see the Colts are playing the Patriots. I'm sorry, the Colts are playing the Cardinals. And the uh, the uh, the Bills are playing the Patriots, which all three of those could be losses for the team that are right in front of us. But like I said, nonetheless, you have to take care of your own backyard before you can even begin to start scoreboard watching. You're right. Let's stand all the teams that are right now in contention for those final couple wildcard spots. If the Raiders went out, they would win all those tiebreakers. How the tiebreaker would work against the Chargers, I'm not sure, but they would win the tiebreaker yes. against all those mm-hmm. other teams, Miami, Pittsburgh, as you mentioned, Baltimore, and Indianapolis. So, all right, my man, this is the final podcast before Christmas, and just wanted to say Merry Christmas to you and your family, and thank you once again for another great episode this week. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you and yours, DA. Uh, like I said, I've had a blast this year being on with you. I'm looking forward to 2022 being on with you again as well. But yeah, nonetheless, man, um, much love uh, to you and your family. And uh, as always, it is a pleasure doing this with you. All right, Raider Nation, that's going to do it for another edition of the Believe in Raiders podcast presented by BetOnline.ag. For my partner, Stanford Rapp, I'm Dennis Zack, and thanks so much for listening. And may all your punts find the coffin corner. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.